Hey guys, good morning. I'm Dan and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Church. Love the fact that you're here and if you're here for the very first time, welcome. Uh, hopefully you make yourself at home. You enjoy the morning. Obviously, I'm not there this morning. Uh, I am in Pennsylvania. I about a year ago decided to uh, take a trip with my two boys. Uh, it actually is my youngest boy's Christmas present. And uh, my two boys have never been to Beaver Stadium, which is Penn State's home field. And so here uh, we are this weekend in Pennsylvania. Uh, I took them to a Penn State game, their very first Penn State game. And uh, I told Aiden and uh, Ben I was going to send back another picture. Uh, and that picture would tell you whether or not my team won at the game we were at. And so you can look at the picture on the screen. I don't know yet because it's not yet been played as I'm taping this. But uh, you can tell whether or not we won or not. But this week, I kind of want to have a conversation with you uh, and continue a conversation that we've been in. We're in this series called Made to Be. And it's simply a conversation about men and women. It's a conversation about the genders. And we're simply saying, what's God's heart, his purpose, his vision, his dream for the genders? And as we've had this conversation, we said it's important for us to have this conversation because, quite frankly, in our culture, there's a lot of chaos. Um, there's chaos, there's stereotypes, and those stereotypes sometimes lead to distortions and it leaves people confused. And so we simply have said the church needs to find its voice and find its tone in the middle of this conversation. Uh, the church needs to be a safe place for people who are struggling. And so maybe you're here today and you're struggling. I want you to know this is a safe place, but not just a safe place for those who are struggling, but the church needs to be a safe place for those who are struggling while giving some clarity in the middle of the confusion, while giving some direction in the middle of the distortion. And so that's what we want to attempt to do in this series. There's a lot of messages going on. In fact, if you watch the news this week, or maybe read the New York Times, you'll see that it is a topic that is right now in current events. And uh, what we've said is this, is that our culture, our culture would like to say that gender is a social construct. Literally, that gender is decided by society. It's not even decided by your anatomy when you're born in our society. Now, I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm simply saying that's what our culture is saying it is. And so what we said is this, is that we want to take a look at this very confusing topic and uh, understand it from God's vantage point. And when you get behind God's eyes on the whole idea of gender, you realize some things that are very foundational, that God created us on purpose, for a purpose, with purpose, and he's the one that gives us value. He gives men value, women value, equal value because we've been made in his image. And then beyond that, we realize that he is a designer that created us distinctly different, on purpose, for a reason. And we've been leaning into that, that our gender is actually given to us as a gift and by God. And so the last two weeks, we kind of talked to the men. And we simply talked to the guys and said, okay, what's God's role? What's his purpose uh, for men? And so if you weren't here and you're a guy, I would really encourage you to go online and check that out. Uh, these next two weeks, beginning with this week, I want to have a conversation about women with women. And I want to talk about what the purpose and the role of women is when you get behind God's eyes. And I think to myself, what could possibly go wrong, right? Uh, a guy talking to a bunch of women about the role of women and the purpose of women. But I'm going to tell you something. I ain't scared to have this conversation, but I also am not there. <laughs> I'm a state away, okay? But uh, I'm really excited to have this conversation. And hopefully, if you're here and you're a gal, I want you to just kind of lean in. And I say this all the time. You don't have to agree with everything I say to come here. Uh, but I want to take a look at this from God's vantage point because we have said that gender is rooted in creation. 
So when you want to look at what God has to say about gender, you go back to creation. And then gender is not just rooted in creation, but it's redeemed at the cross. And so when we look at that, we begin asking ourselves, okay, if God created us different on purpose by design, uh, what was the reason that he created us different? Did he simply just create us different anatomically or was there a design when he created us? And when, as we do this, I begin to think about uh, women and the challenges. Many of you are sitting here this morning or tonight, whenever you decided to come and hang out with us. And there are so many challenges for women, so many different stereotypes, just like we talked about with the men, that women have to kind of uh, live up to or have to figure out what does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a woman in our culture. And some of these stereotypes are, are pictures that some of you even have in your mind. There's kind of the Susie homemaker, the traditional woman, and maybe that's what it means to be a woman. And others of you kind of have the pressure of like a woman's got to have like seven or eight things going on at once, right? She works and she runs a company while she runs the home and she takes the kids to soccer practice and she's doing all kinds of stuff. Our culture likes to throw in front of women what it means to be beautiful and what it means to be pretty. And maybe it's a Miss America kind of picture. Or maybe it's the athletic, kind of the fit woman. Or, or quite possibly it's like, I am woman, hear me roar. Or I'm strong, I don't need a man. All kinds of stereotypes that our culture throws at women that creates pressure. That's why recently, this very unique opportunity to sit down with five women here at Grace Church. Five women from different generations, different walks of life, different personalities. And I had a chance to talk to them about some of the stereotypes that women face, some of the challenges they face, some of the pressures on women, and then to begin to tease out some of the things that we're going to be talking about for the next two weeks. It was an absolutely incredible experience to sit down around the table with them. And I want you to kind of peek in on our conversation. So watch this clip. Have you guys all met before? I mean, did you guys all know each other? No. Wow. So why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about things you're involved in at the church, community? Just tell us about Sarah Friddle. I'm Sarah Friddle. I'm involved with teaching Empower Kids. Yeah. I have a master's in social work, and uh, we serve at first glance every Tuesday night. Yeah. My name's Deb Tomchek. I grew up in a Christian home and um, went to Christian college. We do our small group. We really like that. And the Mentoring Moms has been uh, new to me this year. And I've been doing that with some of the other older gals. I'm Sherry Jones. I'm the Director of Children's Ministry. And I'm also a wife and a mom of grown children. I'm Hallie. I went to a Christian university. I have a degree in accounting at church. I'm on staff. So I have a group of girls that I hang out with. I hang out with the young adults. I usher at the 5.30 service. Sarah Finn, and I help lead on the worship team with Aiden, who I'm married to. We also are in a small group on Monday nights, like a young married group. Yeah, I, I can tell you guys are gonna have some good stories going through all that. <laughs> so we're having this conversation, right? About uh, men and women. And I'm gonna be talking to the ladies in a couple weeks. I'd love for you guys just to spitball. That's a guy term. I'd love for you just to tell me some things that you, when you think about the challenges that women face today, what do you think are some of the stereotypes our culture kind of, we talked about this with guys, you know, the stereotypes, the lumberjack man. The, what are some of the stereotypes for gals? I think like 
in becoming a mom, like I'm realizing that um, it seems like you can't win as far as like either working or staying at home. You know, there's a certain stereotype for the stay at home mom is like, oh, she's, you know, lazy or she's just so lucky because, you know, she just gets to stay home and read magazines all day. And, you know, so it's like, you know, she can't win. And then, you know, when a mom does work, it's like, oh, how could she possibly balance, you know, work and family and, you know, her kids must be suffering because she's, you know, working all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so if she doesn't fit into this certain mold or she doesn't fit into this certain mold, you you know, it, mm -hmm. it feels like you can never be both. So it feels like you can't, can't win, win either way. Yeah. yeah. There's guilt associated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You guys have anything you'd add to that? Like stereotypes or? Yeah. I... You're, we're always listening. So it's like, um, whether it's good or bad, um, people say a lot of things. And so it's like, um, women are always listening to everything that's said. And so there's, um, it, it's just pressure. And so um, if a woman is emotional, the stereotype is, oh, it must be that time of the month, you know? And it's like um, everything is, if it's said, it's said over and over and over again in your head when you're alone with your thoughts. I think what Sherry's saying there is so, we got get so caught up in the judgmental world. Huh. And what I'm hearing you say is we listen, we judge ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we judge ourselves in, in a harsh way rather than seeing ourselves as God has created us huh. as beautiful women. We judge ourselves in these voices that we hear um, that are not true and that we have that pressure. Do we stay at home or do we work? Do we exercise or do we not? You mm -hmm. know, how do we look today? So what do you guys think equal values, different roles or purpose looks like? What do you guys think that looks like? I don't want to be a copy of my husband mm -hmm. or another man. I want to be a compliment. I want to be different, and I believe that God has created me to be different. I believe that he has created me to be um, a gentle, not quiet, but gentle, mm -hmm. and intuitive. We were talking about being, you know, having intuition that, that men don't have. My husband doesn't have the intuition that I do because I think God has created me to have that trait because I think that's God's trait. One of God's traits is, is his, his gentle, kind, caring and that's who he has made me. And I want to be that compliment, not copy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the difference. And, and, and it's true, as a male and female, we, we want to mesh together. We can't be the same thing. Mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not necessary then. It's mm -hmm. a repeat. We don't need a repeat. My husband doesn't need a repeat of me, mm -hmm. of himself. He needs a different person. He wants a, a mate that's mm -hmm. different. I think if we took the emotion of the gender discussion out of it, if we were talking about a business, yeah. to have two CEOs who both want to be in charge, you get nowhere. <laughs> but if my strength is, like Hallie, she's an accountant. If my strength was accounting and your strength was marketing, if you're trying to be the accountant, we get nowhere. Mm. So if, mm -hmm, if, exactly. if we don't recognize the intrinsic value of all the roles. Mm -hmm. but if you think about it as a business, it would be ludicrous to have two people trying to be top dog. Mm -hmm. um, so when you, when you put that into the framework of marriage and um, relationships, the, the genders, you throw the emotion back into it that makes it feel more complicated. Mm -hmm. But really to have people trying to fulfill the same role is, just doesn't work.
I feel like I love thinking of Aiden and I as a team. Like, you know, like we're, we're a team, um, you know, helping out our families. We're a team serving in the church. Like we're, you know, a team, you know, when we're working on our marriage. And when you think of a uh, team, like the word all across the board, whether it's a sports team or, you know, like a, a team at work or, or something like that, it is never the same thing copied, copied, copied for the whole team, or you're always left with this weak spot. Always. There's always going to be this emptiness that nobody on that team, you know, can can make up for or fulfill. So it just doesn't make sense, you know, in the world. And I think like like you said, I think where it gets touchy is, you know, the the, the where it comes to genders, because there's there is a lot of hurt, I think, that, you know, each gender sometimes has. And so they think like, well, you're trying to domineer me or you're trying to tell me what to do. But, you know, like when, like I said, when you're both following Christ, you become this beautiful team of, you know, comp, you know, complimenting each other and, and making up the weakness for one with another one's strength. When God created woman, he created her, Genesis 2.18, he said, I created her to be a helper suitable for him. What do you think it means that he created woman to be a helper suitable for the man? Well, I think that he can't do it by himself. Like, they do need us in our role to help. I just think complimentary. Mm -hmm. Not the same, not identical, but, but to compliment. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes I like have a hard time, like, you know, like I think lots of women do with the word submission when it's taken out of context or sometimes with, you know, that when you think, oh, helper, like, you know, what am I just an assistant, you know, to the real guy. But like when I, when I really look at, you know, all, like all the characteristics of Jesus and all the ways that he's described and that he is our helper, you know, in our time of need and that he, you know, submits and sacrifices and, you know, and, and, and that he does all these things that he's asking us to do. I think, well, wow, then, you know, who am I to think that I am above, you know, any of these beautiful servant qualities that he is portraying for me every day, you know? And then I feel like that's when I really understand what these words mean and it brings the love and the meaning behind it. And I don't see it as a threat, you know? And I don't see it as a threat to my value because I know Jesus values me. So if he's telling me to do this, that means that, you know, he's, he's doing it and he, and he values me. And so... I think that value is very important to recognize. And, and again, I think we've talked about it, but when God created everything and he looked and he was, saw that something was missing, and of course he knew, but when he made woman, he didn't, that wasn't like a second rate thing. That was the final beautiful masterpiece of what he created. So I loved having a conversation with those five gals. And, and I wanna tell you something, uh, it was incredible to hear them talk and kind of share their heart. Uh, all five of those gals, God is using in incredible ways here at Grace Church. And so we're going to be hearing more from them in the next week as we continue to tease out uh, what God's design and His desire for women is. The question we want to ask kind of this morning for a few minutes is, so what exactly did ha God have in mind? When He designed woman distinctly and differently, was it simply... He thought, man, I just want to design her different biologically, anatomically, or was there something else? Did he design her differently for a particular 
purpose. And when you want to go back and answer that question, you go clear back to Genesis, right? So if you have your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 2, that's where we're going to be. And when you get to Genesis chapter 2, you begin to get some clues about what God had in mind when he created woman. Here's what it says. If you have your Bibles open, read with me, beginning in verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man... And he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We talked about that in week two. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said this, this is key. It is not good for the man to be alone. Stop for a second. God has been creating. He created everything in the universe. And he said, after everything he created, He said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then all of a sudden we get to this point in the creative story and God says something that we haven't heard up until this point. He said, it is not good for the man to be alone, which led him to say this. He says, it is not good for the man to be alone. So I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, I can almost feel what's going on in the room right now, right? Some of you are saying, oh, geez, Pastor, I can see where you're going, and I'm glad you're in Pennsylvania, right? Because you're thinking, I, 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 I knew that this is where this conversation was going to hit. I want everybody to collectively in the room take a breath because I want us to kind of get behind what in the world's God saying here. Because as you continue to read verse 19, here's what it says. So the Lord God had formed down on the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky, And he brought them to the man to see what the man would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Fascinating scene, right? God God gives uh, Adam this responsibility. He said, I want you to name all the animals. So there's a zebra, there's an elephant, there's a dove, there's a lizard. You know, you fill in the blanks, right? But as Adam is doing this, something becomes really, really evident. I think it becomes evident to God and to Adam both. Look what it says. But for Adam, all these animals, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God did something about that. He caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman, there we go, from the rib he had taken out of the man. And so then he brought her to the man. Here in the creation narrative, we see pretty clearly what God's motive in creating the woman was. Okay, He sees something that's not good. He sees that man's alone and he said, that's not good. And so we see his motive. And I think as he describes this event, we see pretty clearly some strong hints as to what his purpose was in creating woman and in creating her by design differently. Here's what it says. Let's look at a few of those key words that are going to be important for us today. Here's what he says. I will make a, here's the first key word, a helper. I'll make a helper. When God made woman, he said, I'm going to make for Adam a helper. God's purpose in making the woman was to make a helper for the man. Now, here's what I know. 
I wish I could be there and see your face right now, right? Because usually that does not, at least when I'm in my office talking to people, it doesn't elicit a positive response, particularly with gals, right? And I understand that, right? I ain't no man's helper and that kind of stuff, right? And, and, and the deal is this, when we say that God made woman to be a helper, the word helper kind of elicits different images because you can take that word helper and go a lot of different places. Our English language lends itself to that. I mean, just think about it. Like there's different words. Like if I use the word cool, right? If I just simply use the word cool, there's all kinds of ways in which maybe you could take that word, meanings that word has, right? If I say you're cool, that could mean that you're like, you're somebody who's all right, man. You're, you're, you're kind of hip and you're in and you're in style and all that kind of stuff. Or I could say you're cool and it might mean you need a jacket, right? Or I could say you were a little cool and it might mean that you weren't very friendly to me, right? It's, it's one word that kind of brings up all these different images. So when we get to this word helper, it's important that we understand the word that was originally used. Now we're gonna throw it on the screen. I'm actually gonna throw the Hebrew word on the screen, okay? I want you to see it and I wanna explain it. The Hebrew word helper is the word ezer, okay? Ezer, everybody say it out loud with me, okay? One, two, three, ezer, that's the word, right? And when God made woman, he made her to be an ezer, right? A helper. What's interesting about that word ezer is that word is used about 21 times in the Old Testament. 21 times, twice here in Genesis to refer to God creating the woman. Three different times used in the Old Testament to refer to somebody saving somebody or rescuing somebody that was in need of desperate help. And then I want you to remember this. 16, the majority of the times it's used in the Old Testament, 16 times it's used to refer to God. That's key. In fact, let me read you some of the places. Psalm 33, 20. We wait and hope for the Lord, for he is our, say the word out loud, help and our shield. Psalm 70, verse 5, but as for me, I'm poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God, you are my, say the word out loud, help and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. Look at Psalm 115. All you Israelites trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Psalm 146, blessed are those whose help is their God, the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, their God. Listen close. If God is our help, do you think that means that being a helper is a secondary or inferior part of the equation? Answer is definitively no. There's not a chance. There's not a chance that it is an inferior, a secondary part of the equation. It is a necessary part of the equation. God being a helper means that it's not inferior, but that it is necessary. In fact, this word easer, helper, simply means this. It means to provide necessary assistance. That's what it means. So how does this apply to women? I want you to write this down on your outlines. It means this. Women were made to be helpers and women are made 
to be necessary helpers. Necessary helpers. That's what the word means, to provide necessary help. The idea of women being created does not speak to their inferiority. It speaks to their necessity. And I would say this, the fact that God created woman to help the man speaks not to the woman's inferiority, but it speaks to the man's inadequacy to do what God placed him in the garden to do alone without that necessary help. It speaks to the man's need for assistance, for somebody to help him do what God called him to do. God said it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for that old boy to be alone. He needs some assistance. He needs some help. And so he created woman. And he doesn't stop there. It's so key. I want you to stay with me on this. God had placed the man here to be a responsible caretaker. That's what he did. And he saw that he needed help to do what God had placed him here to do. And so in light of that, look back at your Bibles. He says, I will make a helper, here's the key phrase, suitable for him. That word suitable for him, we're going to throw that on the screen just so you can see it. There's a Hebrew word, and here's what it means. I'm going to create a helper the opposite of him. Something that is the opposite, stands opposite to what I've created. So he is a, this woman is a necessary assistant helper. She needs to be there for him to do what I've placed him there to do. And this helper is going to be different. It's going to be opposite. When God made woman, he did not make her like the man. Can we just say it this way? That wouldn't have helped. It wouldn't have been helpful. God didn't make her like the man. I would say it this way. God didn't make her to compete with the man. He made her to be a complement to the man. Uniquely, differently designed because that's what's going to be helpful. In fact, I was reading from Matt Chandler said this. I just want to read. He said this phrase fit for him leads us to the idea of a complementarian relationship. The man and the woman were created unique by God, both in the image of God, equal in dignity, equal in value, equal in worth, but they've been meant to complement one another, not compete against each other. The weaknesses of the one are strengthened by the strengths of the other, and the strengths of the other one are made even stronger by the strengths of the other. Here's what that means. I want you to write this down. It means this, that when God made women, he didn't just simply make them to be necessary helpers. He made women. Women are made to be unique complements. Now, look really careful at the screen right now and make sure you spell it correctly. Compliments. I'm not saying compliment with an I. I'm saying compliments with an E. That God made men and women differently to complement each other to somehow he made them opposite so that they would complement it's not like hey you're doing a good job but it's like these opposites that come together and they're better because they're together when God made woman he made her to be a unique complement now listen listen let's just talk straight for a second okay let's just talk about this you already understand this it just makes sense 
that, that Adam could not do what God asked him to do in the garden alone. You know this. You, you, whether you believe the Bible or not, you know that Adam could not do, right? If we're reading this story, he couldn't do what God asked him to do alone. You're like, what do you mean, Dan? Well, look back at your Bibles. Genesis 1.28. Flip a page back. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. Listen, listen. Everybody look here. Man cannot fill the earth and be fruitful without a complementarian helper, the woman, right? There's no way he could do that. It's impossible, right? Man and woman are needed to come together to be fruitful and fill the earth. But, but I want you to get this. But that's not all that, 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 that was given to Adam as his primary responsibility. He was given more than just to fill the earth. He was given the responsibility to cultivate it, to tend it, to mine it, to care for it. Adam's responsibility, listen close, was to make what God entrusted to him flourish. And he needed a helper to do that. He couldn't be fruitful and fill the earth without a woman. And he couldn't make it flourish the way God wanted without the helper made suitable for him fascinating. And so he placed them together so that this complementarian helper could help him cause that which was entrusted to him to flourish. Guys, it makes me ask this question, okay? It makes me ask this question, and I would say it if I was standing in front of you. Why in the world, in our culture, do we clamor for sameness Everything needing to be the same when the beauty of God's design is purposefully different. And it's purposely different, listen close, for the sake of human flourishing. The more we celebrate our different design and realize that our different design was given to us to complement each other, not compete the more we begin to understand that God did that so that humanity would flourish, so that we could fill the earth, be fruitful, and cause it to flourish. It's interesting to me. I think it's interesting that when you get to Genesis 3, okay, the fall of man. Genesis 3 talks about sin entering the story of man. So when you get to Genesis 3 and the fall of man, Here's what's interesting. You can read this on your own. In fact, you ought to check me on this. But the man was given this primary responsibility to be the spiritual guardian. God gave him the command. And he said, I want you, Adam, to be the spiritual guardian. Take care of what's been entrusted to you. And the man neglects his primary responsibility. We talked about that, right? Week two. He neglects his primary responsibility. And so what happens? The woman who's created to be the complementarian helper oversteers. And the next thing you have is sin. And God primarily comes to the man first. And when he does, it's interesting to me that God pronounces this universal consequence of the first sin. This is interesting, guys. And when he does that, Genesis 3, you can read this. The consequence that he pronounces on man has 
primarily, that consequence has to do with man's primary responsibility. He says, now that which I've given you to do is going to come about through a lot of hard work, through sweat. I want you to take care of 10, but it's, going, it's not going to be as easy. The thing that I've given you to do is not going to be as easy. Not just taking care of the ground and causing things to flourish from the ground, but even tending your family, being a spiritual guardian. I mean, it's, there, there's, it's going to be hard work by the sweat of your brow. And, and us guys in the room say, yep, experience that. But then when he comes to the woman, her consequence is correlated to her role and purpose and responsibility. Look what it says, Genesis 3. Just flip a page over. Verse 16. To the woman, he said, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you'll give birth to children. Can I get an amen on that? Right? It, it, you gals already know this. I, I'm, you guys don't even pretend like you do, right? I've been in the room three times, man. I, just, I'm, I praise God all three times. I'm a guy, right? Because you see that play out, that God created her to be a complementary helper. And so she's going to bear children. And what God is saying is, listen, there, it, it's not like, hey, it's, it's not a breeze, right? But he doesn't stop there. Look at this. This is so interesting. Okay. Your, see this word, desire will be for your husband and he'll rule over you. Now let's make sense of this. Let's make some sense of this. You, you read this and it sounds odd at first because when you read this, it sounds like your desire, that's a good thing. Your desire is going to be for your husband. You're going to desire your husband. And I think if you read it that way, it's like, it's confusing because like, well, if that's the consequence of sin, Right. But in order to understand what God is saying here, you've got you to look at the very next time we see that word used. And the next time we see that word used is in reference to Adam and Eve's son who offers a sacrifice that God is not pleased with. So you flip one more page over to Genesis 4. Look at this. The Lord says to Cain, that's Adam and Eve's son, why are you angry? Cain was angry because God didn't like his sacrifice. Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, listen to this, guys. Sin is crouching at your door. It, what's the word? Desires to have you, but you must rule over it. It's interesting, right? He's saying sin literally wants to overcome you. I think what God is telling Eve is that women... You're gonna, there's going to be this, this disordered desire, this wrathless desire to compete instead of to complete and complement. I think there's going to be this, this desire, and some of you are like, I feel it. Some of you, if you're honest, like I feel it, to control your husband instead of cooperate with your husband. I think for some, I think what he's saying, there's this disordered desire to somehow pressure instead of partner with. I think that's what he's saying. That somehow the way this begins to play out is these disordered desires and these wrathless desires. What he created, he created women. Women were made to be unique complements. They were made to be necessary helpers. But that's not all. I think there's one more thing and then we'll be done. One more thing today and we'll be done. If you go back to Genesis 2, the Lord God said, it's not good 
for the man to be alone. All the men in the room are going to say amen to that, right? Not good for the man to be alone. We've talked about this before, but I want you to, to hear me say this. God made us for community. God made us for relationship. That's the big principle here, okay? But when God made us for community and for relationship, when he saw man was alone, he created a companion for him. It was a necessary helper, for sure. It was a unique compliment, for sure. But he said, I'm going to begin this idea of community because God has always existed in perfect community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so God, out of that community, created mankind. He said, I want mankind to enjoy community. Much like the community that I enjoy as the creator. Interesting. And so he created woman to be this unique companion. It's interesting that when God formed the first com community, he didn't form a group of dudes to hang out with this guy. All the same hanging out. But what he created was a companion to partner with in a unique way, the first man. I want you to write it down this way. Women are made to be partnering companions. Women are made to be partnering companions. There's this community that we enjoy together, men and women. God created women to help, for sure, to be a complement, for sure, and become part of the first human community called marriage. I would say this, that gender roles and purposes, we said this last week, gender roles and purposes are played out in these two families that God's creating. I want you to remember that. That, that the first family is simply seen in creation. And it begins with this marriage that all of a sudden be fruitful and multiply. It's simply the, the family, the household family. And then we see God putting together a family after the cross. And that family is, is the family of those who've said yes to Jesus. And that's the family of God. And this idea of necessary helpers and unique compliments and partnering companions is seen, played out in those two communities. Let me just say it this way. Let me just say this before we close. Regarding marriage, okay? Regarding marriage and the community that we experience in marriage. Marriage is the unique and exclusive friendship between one man and one woman that has exclusive benefits. Exclusive benefits. It's men need women to do what God has called us to do together for the flourishing of our family. I'll just say it this way. I am married to an incredible woman. I love my wife. I absolutely love my wife. She is, she is a strong woman. She is a smart woman. She's a courageous woman. She's a talented woman. I will tell you this unequivocally. I would not be the man that I am without Jennifer. My children would not be the people they are without Jennifer. My wife, in a very robust way, she's not somebody who likes the spotlight, in a very robust way, has caused me to flourish as a man. My wife has caused our children to flourish as people. My wife 
has caused and, and, and helped so that what God has even called me to do here in ministry could flourish as she flourishes in the ministry he's called her to do. You see, I need Jennifer. I watch her almost every day this week. She's meeting with women and pouring into women and, and discipling women. You see, we need necessary helpers, unique compliments who partner with us in a unique friendship. Not only that, but, but in the church here, as one of the pastors, can I just say this? Men need women to do what God has called us to do together for the flourishing of his church. Those beautiful women that you saw on that video, can I tell you this? They all are uniquely involved in the flourishing of what God is doing here. The one sitting on the end, her name's Deb, and she mentors young mothers. You know Sarah that was sitting right beside me. And those of you who, are, who, who come to the contemporary services hear her lead in worship. And some of you in the traditional service hear her sing in the traditional service. God has blessed her with this incredible voice. But way beyond that, last week she sat in front of a bunch of young adults and began to help them make sense of gender. Sarah, the gal beside her, is going to lead our tr uh, th this weekend, and it's already over. She's the one who led our, our trunk or treat, where we have maybe a, almost a thousand kids come through this place. And she led and organized it. Miss Sherry, as she leads our children's ministry, as she oversees a staff of people that are discipling your children right now, we need women for the flourishing of what God wants to do here. And then there was Hallie sitting right beside me to my left. And Hallie was the only one around that table who's not married. She's a single gal, single young adult gal. And I think what a beautiful picture she is. I would say to all you single young gals that, 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 that maybe you're like, I hope someday that I'll find a man. I would simply say this to you. We need you. And don't sit around waiting for some guy to show up in your life. But, but right now, begin doing what God's called you to do. You know what Allie does? Every Tuesday night, she meets with a group of young adult women and she disciples them. She helps disciple high school students on Sunday nights. I mean, Hallie wants to somehow be a part of what God is doing here for the, for the flourishing of, of his church. I would say to all you young gals in the room, and they're like, when am I going to find a guy? Until then, until then, I would run with eagerness and enthusiasm into what God's called you to do. We need you here at Grace Church for the flourishing, for the flourishing of what God has called us to do. Here's what I'd say. Women are made to be necessary helpers. Necessary helpers. Uses the same word to describe yourself. Unique compliments. Different. Beautifully designed. That's what's the most helpful. And partnering companions. So that we can, as friends, distinctly designed, partner together for the flourishing of what God has placed us here to do. I'd love for you to bow your heads and I'd love to pray with you because, Father, I, I pray for the people in the room right now. I pray for women. And God, my prayer for women right now is that there would be something empowering about understanding how you've uniquely designed them. 
that you've made them on purpose so that somehow what you've entrusted to us as a human race could flourish. God, our culture is just all about competition and all about it's got to be the same. And I pray, God, that somehow you would help us here at Grace Church, right here even in this room, to paint a picture that would be absolutely beautiful and robust and different so that they might see something that would challenge the restlessness that we see in our culture. God, I pray for gals that are in the room right now and they're, they're, they're sitting here and they're saying, my guy makes it really hard for me to be that kind of gal. God, I am so thankful that where the ideal is absent, your grace abounds. And I'm praying that your grace would just wrap them, give them a strength, give them even a, a peace that, that is, passes understanding. God, I pray that you would, you would help them, give them courage. God, I pray for the single gals in this room that, God, you would help them not settle. But, God, that as in the meantime, in the meantime, that they would run into this opportunity that you have placed in front of them. And, God, that they would run into an adventure to see you use them for the flourishing of your church to bring glory to yourself for the sake of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.